Welcome to Theory of Conspiracy. A couple of northern lads from the UK discuss plots, cover-ups, and the unexplainable. Hi, I'm Andy the Skeptic. Hello, I'm Carlos. I believe. It's off the record. Strike it off the record, strike it off. When I was younger, I used to be like mad into aliens and mad into all that stuff, man. I used to think crop circles were like fascinating. So that was when I was scrolling it today when I was working. I just popped that one on and uh, I enjoyed it. Carlos, how much how much does he sound like me? What is my background? (laughs) I am so alien crazy and I'm exactly the same. I can't go to the south of England even now without looking for a crop circle, even though I know that someone (laughs) like Doug and Dave has made it. Yeah, I would yeah, still, <laughs> I would still love to get into a real one. I still think they're fascinating. Oh, hundred percent. We are totally polar opposites. Andy's had his fifteenth vaccine jab. I've had a zero. So <laughs> I've, I've only had the two, Carlos. The two. Yeah, well, I let Andy chat away what he's going to say there, and then I'll address that. But I make a note of it, so we'll come. We'll, we'll circle back to it. Unless, oh, I mean... oh, brilliant! I'm glad someone's making notes because um, I can't keep up. Um, People are really emotionally invested in either side. And I yeah. think doing this is so fair play to you guys for, for putting it together. Because I do think that more kind of amicable conversations have to be had. And I also think people who have concerns should be allowed to voice them in a way that is non-judgmental and, you know, have them addressed as well. So, you know, commends to you guys for, for actually doing it. No, I appreciate no, that. Because cool. obviously Andy spoke highly of you. Obviously Andy <laughs> was saying, no, he spoke very highly. He says that this Corey lad. I said, get him on, yeah. get him on. You could choose to say it's a conspiracy, it never happened. That, that, it's a conspiracy, it never happened. <laughs> if you would like to support the podcast, please talk about this with your friends or give us a review on iTunes. You can comment or contribute at TheoconPod. That's at T-H-E-O-C-O-N-P-O-D. Or check the link in the podcast description. Hey, Theocons, this is Andy. I've not had to interrupt a recording in the middle of editing an episode for ages. But this discussion was going on so well, we ended up talking for two and a half hours. So rather than put you through all that in one sitting, I've made an exact decision to split the podcast into two parts to make it more digestible. Thankfully, there's a natural break mid-conversation, so I won't leave you with any nasty cliffhangers. Hope you enjoy this as much as we did making it, and don't forget to come back for part two. As usual, welcome back, or if this is your first time here, thanks for stopping by. For this podcast, we've got another guest episode to debate COVID-19 myths. Before we get into that, we've had a comment on YouTube. It was on our last podcast episode, which was Hollow Earth. The comment was from a guy called James Wall, and he says, Great podcast, guys. You're my favourite, Carlos. Thumbs up. Excellent, excellent. I don't know why I don't get any love. I've got my first stalker. Excellent, I love it. I don't think he's your first stalker, mate. But Second stalker, second stalker. If anyone else wants to leave us a review or send us an audio message, we'll air it on the podcast. What are you guys waiting for? Carlos to serenade you from the curbside? Keep those comments coming and reviews coming in, whether it's on YouTube, iTunes, wherever, any of our social media channels. As usual, links in the show notes. And if you are brave enough, send us a voice recording or a video and uh, we'll put you on air. You can get exclusive bonus videos and extra podcast material on our YouTube channel. Check it out. 
talking of YouTube, you can get all our back catalogue of podcasts in video format because I'm not sure how long uh, we can keep hold of season one due to just basically storage limits that we have on our podcast host account. So sooner or later, we're going to have to shift them to YouTube. So just to let the listeners know, that's where you can get it. And I'll try and mention that for any new listeners that come on board. Um, there's one episode you can't get hold of, and that's cause YouTube decided to censor it. Not sure what we said. It was probably something Carlos said, but <laughs> it's probably, I probably triggered off every sig- single algorithm known to man. Listen up, this is the main bit. Today, as of recording, it's fourth of August, 2021. I'd like to welcome a special guest for this episode. Some people say he lives in a polling booth and that he sleeps upside down like Batman. All we know is we need to get his tinfoil hat rating. So yes and no answers only. Was 9-11 an inside job? No. Did we land on the moon? Ooh. No. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Do you believe aliens in spaceships have visited Earth? No. What's that with the moon landing? Yeah, that's. Do you know what? I'll tell you what it is, right? It's it's not that I. You gave me yes or no as the options. And I'm not 100% sold on the yes side of it just because of, uh, you know, obviously we could do a podcast on its own about this and I'm far less <laughs> informed <laughs> about the moon landing. So I'm definitely talking on my ass. But uh, it's, it's the one that I could be moved on the most. So I wanted to give a one. I wanted to give a little bit on one of them. And that would be the one that I'd probably be able to be moved on the most. So that was oh. the one. I kind of gave a bit of ground on. You've got to go through our archives and dig out the moon landing. The moon, moon the moon. Landing. Yeah, it wasn't a moon landing. It was moon conspiracies because there was, we felt there was, we could, we could get more than just the moon landing into that episode. I definitely will. I was really looking forward to having a, our first guest who scored zero like myself. Would that be the first guest? Do you know what? I didn't want to score zero because I felt like it was kind of, uh, I don't want to be the pen pusher that everyone's like, oh, this guy, like, you know. <laughs> well, I score a zero, so that that's me. So and, you're the and, guy to aim for. So you're yeah, the... and Carlos scores a ten, which is actually impossible to get. <laughs> Tina's only give you three points per answer, but he still scores a ten. Both impressive for your own reason. <laughs> we have totally polar opposites. Andy's had his fifteenth vaccine jab. I've had a zero, so <laughs> I've, I've only had the two, Carlos. The two. <laughs> so based on that unbelievable re- revelation of three. Do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Corey. Um, I'm from Ireland. And uh, as a career, I'm a data analyst. So kind of how any my kind of interest in this thing started was back in January 2020, uh, when all this started for everyone, basically, I was super concerned, as I'm sure loads of people were, about this uh, reports coming out of China, about this, you know, scary virus that nobody knew anything about that was shrouded in mystery and people were dying and i got sent all the whatsapp videos of people like dropping dead in like queues and stuff and i kind of took some time to basically follow some of the research that was coming out and obviously in the beginning it was super delayed and you know there's that's one of the things that i think is uh if anyone has to say any of the conspiracies about this thing are true it's that the chinese government absolutely have suppressed information um and we can get into the whole labeling thing there too because i do think that's something that could actually be possible 
But basically, I was following the information, and it's just been continuing from there uh, as the world has gone into kind of shutdowns and openings and shutdowns and stuff. I'm somebody that likes to understand things holistically and understand why things are happening. And I basically wanted to follow the research closely to understand when it came to lockdowns or when it came to masks or when it came to any of these kind of things, why was it happening? Do you know, what was the kind of logic behind it? And basically be informed, essentially, before I would take an action like wear a mask or not wear a mask, et cetera, et cetera. So following that, I found some weird patterns emerging where uh, not necessarily weird when you think about kind of what's gone on in the last couple of years. I think this is something that's emerging more and more on the Internet, that misinformation essentially took hold. And it took hold in um, some of the kind of, you know, similar communities, people who were, you know, very distrusting of the government, people who maybe, and this isn't like a, a, a jab, but genuinely, you know, the less educated kind of sex society. A lot of these people were kind of very scared of this thing because they didn't understand it. And a lot of the misinformation and uh, and falsehoods that would come out kind of comforted them a little bit. And I saw an interesting connection between a lot of these misinformation and falsehoods and uh, politics. So my background mainly is that I'm very, very interested in politics. I've followed politics for years. Uh, I'm a kind of a left-leaning, progressive uh, political person on the spectrum myself. And when I saw that kind of connection, it, it inspired me to do a bit of research and to ultimately basically make a, a video on YouTube, the only video I've ever made. And it was coming from the kind of specifically from Ireland about how the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the misinformation was very closely tied to some of the far right um, political parties in Ireland. And I won't even name them because I don't want to give them the clout. But all of the kind of, you know, the similar views that you would expect from them, you know, anti-immigration, anti-bodily um, yeah. autonomy about, you know, choice. And I'm sure we'll get into the, the, the parallels there with the vaccine as well. But it was uh, very closely tied to that. So I made a video on that, basically talking about the psychology of people who basically buy into misinformation uh, and propagate it. And then also how it ties into politics and, and some of the connections there. And from there, essentially, I just started following some of the misinformation uh, as it was being spread and I essentially made an account on TikTok primarily just to follow some of the uh, bigger kind of virologists or epidemiologists or immunologists who actually have accounts on there and were updating kind of regularly about the emergence of different uh, variants and what was happening. And from there, I started seeing a lot of misinformation, a lot of people being misinformed uh, in the comment section. I started kind of basically following from there. I didn't see much from an Ireland perspective. So I took a lot of what I was hearing from these guys from America I got talking to a few of them, uh, connecting with them on TikTok, uh, did some of the research, what they were talking about, and tried to basically signal boost that in Ireland to people that may be misinformed here. Um, and essentially, that's how it started. I've been doing that for the last maybe three or four months. The account is still super small. It's only about 3,000 people. But it is interesting, and it has started a lot of conversations uh, in the comments section. I kind of went mini viral here for a video I put up about mandatory vaccines. And I think that's an interesting kind of route to go down in the conversation at some point and, and how we feel about those. Uh, but basically, I went mini viral for something on that kind of in a negative way. A lot of the kind of anti-vaccine community found me. I don't even want to call them anti-vaccine because I know they don't like using that. So I don't want to mischaracterize them. But the, let's say the COVID skeptics found it and there was a lot of attention, mostly negative. But that kind of boosted my account up a lot. And since then, I've been getting every video I post, maybe 100, 150 comments of people from all sides of the spectrum, all debating each other in the comment section. And, you know, it's it's kind of... a it's kind of gone on from there. So that's kind of how I was uh, picked up by Andy. I think he saw one of the videos I put up and, and here I am. Yeah, basically, um, you've already answered my first question, uh, which was, why should we take your advice on the virus or vaccine over someone like who's supposedly qualified like Brett Weinstein? And, and that is because, okay, you might not be a virus or vaccine expert, but like me, you've you've looked at the stats when you've seen 
people quoting stats basically and you've gone okay people are just quoting stats here to make a point but what what is the real context of those stats behind the scenes i'm very similar the way i got into it uh regular listeners or anyone that's listened um i believe it's on youtube to when we've discussed uh covid a little bit further um on tiktok uh, sorry on twitch we uploaded that onto youtube maybe i uploaded the audio uh onto the podcast stream as well but i don't i'm not sure i did uh but again uh we discussed at length uh all sorts of stats last year where i was getting stats from so-called friends that knew i for the last 25 years i've been working with statistics basically i my background is uh, business intelligence. I literally, it's my job to look at numbers and make num- make meaning out of numbers. So obviously when people started quoting stuff from government websites and, and all this, um, I started to look into it. And, and I, you, you get yourself into arguments on Facebook, weren't you? At one point. Yeah, you I just, yeah. Yeah, I had to, I had to just remove myself from. We're it was similar. Just, on it that was just it, it was just depressing me because I couldn't go past one. I couldn't I couldn't scroll past something okay. that was a, where people had taken stats out of contents context or they'd misrepresented stats. And but I had people going just oh look at the website and look at the numbers look at the numbers it doesn't make sense. And I agree that numbers don't tell the whole story and without comparing them sometimes to the bigger picture they make even less of a story a number on its own doesn't tell you anything That's but true. some people some people were just seeing these numbers and but they, but this was all this was all last year this was all pre january 2021 and I, I think it's evolved with the introduction of the vaccine uh, and that spurred numerous uh new conspiracies is is what i'm going to say carlos i think you maybe should recap your background as to why we should maybe take your word over myself or Corey. but also you say that you're not an anti-vaxxer but you're you you don't i'm not taking the vaccine for the time being because i'm the my background is i'm there's I'm a bit like yourself, Corey, because when the uh, breakout happened in Wuhan, was it January? Uh, it happened November 2019, correct me if I'm wrong. And then I was getting information in December 2019 and then 2020, January. My inbox was going crazy because uh, obviously we, we had the podcast going. People were just sending, have you seen this video? You need to talk about this, talk about this. And obviously I was mentioning it to Nick and Andy at the time. He goes, there's nothing in it just yet. I said, because I was, uh, at first, Corey and Andy, I was scared. I thought, shit, this is the end of civilization. This same, is, same, yeah. Th- this was, I was scaring everyone. I was, my, my sisters had to say to me, Carlos, stop talking to my mum. I was saying to my mum, listen, this could be the end. And I was like, I was so, I thought this, the end is nine. I really thought this is it. We're going to die. Spanish flu all over again. And then as things started evolving and information started changing from with the Fauci, changing no mask, mask, and then things started happening. And then you start hearing, I know you can, you can, like you just mentioned on your, uh, your analysts and people do 
misinformed and you are correct you've got the left side and you've got the right side and people start scaremongering i'm like yourself i'm more edging towards the left and i i was i was talking to people in the united kingdom people in europe people in america and it gets to a point where it depends on which side you would you were, you were leaning to it depends which which uh which side you thought the vaccine was going to uh affect you or the virus is going to affect you and it's only when i started realizing where the people were sort of like the, the people who were sort of like nobody was nothing no one was dying around me no one was getting infected and i started to question so what was happening and it was, you started hearing little stories from all over the place i know i was listening to podcasts like david ike i know that's not uh glorifying and people like alex jones and they started pulling up videos from sort of 10 15 years ago where they were talking about where uh the this is what's going to happen in the next 10 15 years and and all sort of sort it's like it's come true so it's either they completely guessed it or they the the had inside information and i started realizing where well we we our immune system what's happened to our immune system and and obviously the information misinformation from our governments to us switching from back and forth from herd immunity not to herd immunity europe was the same happening in america south america was the same and so that's the thing it was just misinformation from everywhere so i don't know if it, you are correct uh, Corey, because it depends on which side you were edging towards there was that famous story where in in brazil i escaped i forgot the name of the president he said listen it's practically say the the vaccine is a hoax and he just says this would go out to work and literally uh brazil was one of the worst hit countries i think it's probably the worst hit country after america i'm not sure correct me if is I'm that wrong. not evidence that the president was wrong then saying well, this is nothing it could be, but then there's other uh, there's other uh, ways you can look at. It. For example, Haiti. Haiti was um, didn't re- didn't have any single uh, vaccines, and they had there was, there was a herb they've got in their country which they weren't getting any uh, coronavirus sorry COVID nineteen uh, cases, and he refused any uh, COVID. And he was assassinated about 10, 12 days after he said that. He was assassinated, the president of Haiti. And when now the vaccines are coming into Haiti now after they've replaced them. I know that could be... Is that one you've heard, Corey? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the Haitian president is one that I'm familiar with because that was one of the ones that was recently uh, kind of touted as evidence. And I know that... Uh, and I mean, to be honest, look, as somebody who's like, you know, somewhat progressive leaning, I'm aware that the United States and the CIA and stuff have been involved, involved in some covert stuff to, to basically enact what they want um, in, t- you know, foreign nations. We can talk about, you know, yeah. Iraq and the weapons of mass destruction and that whole lie yeah, true. and manufactured consent to get, you know, invasions. So uh, to be honest, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they would do this because they realized, okay, you know, Haiti or I think Tanzania is another one that people uh, talk about the president there aren't you know uh, complying and they're basically putting us at, at greater risk by not you know addressing covid uh, so you know maybe we need to win and take them out the one thing about the haitian president is that there was actually a coup attempt so haiti or haiti has been in political unrest for a long time since you know they were devastated by yeah, the national disaster there, there was a lot of uh, in-house uh, unrest in that place there was. big time yeah and there was a coup attempt prior to that and he w- there was an attempted assassination of the president uh, and that failed and the coup attempt was failed and it was suppressed. Um, I think it was somebody within his own military that attempted the coup. Uh, so that's so in that particular instance, while I'm not 
But I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that America would go and, and, and do something like that to a foreign nation because they don't really seem to have much respect for <laughs> other foreign nations' dip- diplomacy or governments. In this case, it seems like there's a pretty reasonable explanation that there's been political unrest there for years. There was an, a coup attempt and an assassin- assassination attempt recently uh, that failed, and it probably was just a successful follow-up attempt, to be honest. So it's just to add on to that, it's like... Uh... I'll give you a little analogy and a bit of a story. It might, I'll try and sort of shorten it, but about 10, <laughs> I'll shorten it in the edit. <laughs> no, about, 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 about 15 years ago, I was told, Carlos, you've got one job, uh, go and buy some beer. Go, you have to buy the beer for the party. So I thought, yeah, shit, I've got look, about £400. I'm going to go and buy some beer. So I went to Costco and there was a special offer on Bex, half price. So I thought, oh my God, I'll buy... I buy double the amount of beer, so we had unbelievable amount of beer, enough to for the next two two years or something. So I bought all <laughs> this beer, and I got all this beer, got a, a big white van, uh, got all the beer to party. I put it all in the freezers, all in ice buckets, and I said to everyone, it's about forty people turns up party. Says, listen, we've got beer for fun. Help yourselves, help yourselves. After about an hour or so. I was drinking. I had about six, seven bottles. I was going to the toilet, but I wasn't feeling any drunk. And there's about at least 10, 12 people acting like lunatics, Larry, Jumpy, uh, singing, who's still singing all football songs and X, Y, Z. And I thought, you know what? I'm on my eighth beer here now. And it's been an hour. So I went to it. I thought it might have been, because it was half price, it was probably 2 or 3% lager. I got to it. It was non-alcoholic. And I went, oh, my God. I'm not going to say anything now. So I just literally got all, got all the bottles out of the boxes and put them in ice buckets and in the freezers and all that because I didn't want people to go off their heads. But then I was sat back and observed these people are acting drunk. They're leery. They're all over the floor. People are tripping over themselves. One person was being sick over the floor. And I'm thinking they shouldn't be acting like that. They've, uh, they're, they're drinking non-alcoholic alcohol. That's all they had to drink. It's not like you know, they would add whiskey or tequilas or slamming. No, that's mm. all we had to drink. And I would just sit back and observe. And he had a group of other people who were just sort of like thinking, just drinking, just just like, yeah, there's nothing happening here. It's like, I'm not getting drunk. But they never they never said anything. So I just sat back and watched. And wow, there's just obviously about 40. So what's that? What, 25% of the people are convinced they are drunk because they think they, they're taking alcohol. The other 67% are not even questioning it. And I just thought with the... And no one no one had a pre-drink before leaving the house and coming to your no, party no, or brought their own alcohol. No, no, no. This is this, because I said free beer because I said there was about at least, there was probably about at least 20, 25 crates of beer. So literally unbelievable night. And, well, it would have been, but it just shows by... You're, if you convince yourself that you are, uh, you're drunk, you will be drunk. And it's also um, maybe the vaccine is the same. If you convince there is a deadly, deadly uh, virus out there, you will get ill. So, so the opposite, the opposite is if you believe it's not deadly, you'll be fine. So the thing, the, what, what I want to say, it's interesting because I, I knew you were going with the analogy and you were suggesting that people who maybe are being swayed by the media, mainstream media, that now actually think that they are ill because they're so convinced by it. But if you were to take all of those people in the party and you were to uh, test their blood alcohol level uh, in a correct environment, you would find that uh, they had you know, zero uh, blood alcohol. And at that point, you could show it to them and say, 
there's zero blood alcohol here, you're clearly not you're not drunk, right? So you would be able to determine that. And the ones that would be convinced they were drunk, maybe out of embarrassment, even after seeing that, or you know, saying the test was fake, or the person doing the test was uh, a paid shill for you know big uh, alcohol test uh, industry, then I think your analogy is actually more accurate, and that the people that are convinced that they're drunk when they're not, and who are denying the scientific test that would actually show that they weren't drunk, is actually the the opposite side of those who believe that the vaccine works and that COVID nineteen is uh, is dangerous because you know they're actually denying the science of what would be reality. Just to jump on that, this is the reason why I was struggling to make it yesterday because I was in the studio last night. A couple of lads who were meant to be working with me in the studio were they've been double vaccinated. I've been working with them on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and a Tuesday, and. Tuesday they called in sick. Come come Monday they were they were failing. They were they were struggling. They were no energy. They were just like struggling. I thought, come on lads, we we've got we've got lots of work to do. On Tuesday they called in sick, and because they, they went to the doctors and they tested positive for uh, they did the so they did the uh, tested positive Tuesday because they both went and they said, listen, because they said, oh, uh, one said he couldn't taste, one said he couldn't smell, one says he just he just his body was so fatigued and they were both positive. So what I did on Tuesday, I did the same thing. I just went about six seven o'clock. I went to the test center in Manchester City Center, and by Wednesday today, I was tested negative. But that's the the same, and they've been double vaccinated. And that, I've I've had a, a couple of scenarios. I've just said to Andy, I had to isolate again, even after testing negative two or three times in ten days, where two of the people who were fully vaccinated they were tested positive and that's the bit where i sort of i just cannot get my head around where these people have been double vaccinated they're they're still wearing the mask they're still wearing the um the gloves they're still uh putting the hand sanitizers but they're still testing positive whereas me i'm not wearing the gloves i don't wear a mask unless i have to but i've not tested positive a single uh for anything yet just yet so that's the bit what's I'm trying to sort of get my head around why am I one of the people who've not been vaccinated but not tested positive? Yeah, I mean, the, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with the phenomenon of survivorship bias. I don't know if you've talked about that on the podcast before. No. Essentially, what survivorship bias is, is it's a, it's a bias towards believing or disbelieving something based on your own experience with it. I don't know, there's like a famous analogy of uh, an airplane and bullet holes and stuff. If anyone is interested in looking up survivorship bias, but it's quite interesting. But I think it's actually responsible for a lot of the um skepticism and people who as you mentioned earlier haven't seen people uh sick with covid or haven't seen people die of covid uh or haven't catch caught covid themselves and they don't think they've been particularly safe um the idea obviously is that your own personal experience while it's important to you uh, and your own kind of uh understanding of what's going on it can't trump the information that's out there and the, the data that's out there, unless you feel like on a fundamental level or on a deeper level, the data is actually misrepresented or, or it's lie. There's some lies in there. There's some issue with the data because the only way you could, you could think there's something wrong with what's going on out there and that it's not as deadly as it is, is if you think that there's some misrepresentation. So I'd be interested to get your, uh, your thoughts on the numbers because as of today or as of yesterday, I think, reported we have nearly 200 million cases worldwide with uh four million plus dead 
Uh, and I want to know, just kind of to ground the conversation, what do you think about those numbers? Uh, do you think they're true? Do you think they're accurate? Understated, overstated? I checked about a week ago, the average age of the COVID death in the United Kingdom, I think it was United Kingdom, was 82 years old. The average death for a female, the average death for a male was 78 years old. Is that mm. correct? So it's like, it seems to be like it's hitting people who are past their expiry date kind of thing, to put it in. <laughs> I know it's horrible things, but because I've seen the stat <laughs> for it. <laughs> but because I, I, I was looking at because I said, wow, another person's died, but that person was 86. Another person's died, oh, that person's 91. Another person's died, oh, that person's 86. And I thought the average age in the United Kingdom for female is 82 years old. The average age for a male in the UK dying of COVID is 78 years old. And that's passing, that's passing the average age. I think the average age of death in England is 81 one years old correct me if i'm wrong or something so that's the bit where it's sort of it seems to be it's a certain demographic of people in the united kingdom which are being targeted with this virus oh so, oh well based on those numbers uh i would say i'm 99 percent sure that they are accurate figures uh, there's bound to be some reported discrepancies along the way, but I think it's a small percent of discrepancies, such as the guy that was in a motorcycle accident and was registered as a COVID death. That was a genuine accident, but a lot of people love to quote it because they then say that every single person that tests positive, if they die within 28 yeah, yeah, yeah. days, whether it's jumping off a cliff in a car crash, <laughs> that is not the case. That yeah. was that was an accident, and he was actually removed for the, from the figures. So it was yeah, an, an, an admin error, which a lot of these um, things and yeah, end up being because is, is, is it 30 days or 28 days? You say. Uh, I think it's twenty. I think it's twenty-eight days. Okay. Uh, but personally, I think I think that I think that window should be longer. You might take what if you might die on your twenty-ninth day. What about all those deaths that don't get recorded? I mean, I don't have an immediate response to Carlos. I mean, Carlos came back with another question of different stats on the average age. It's been it's been a long time since I've had my finger on the pulse on the stats because I've purposely avoided them. Uh, but based on everything I see in the news recently. Um, it, it's 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 younger people that are suffering at the moment because all the older people have been vaccinated. You still are going to get older people in there, fair enough. But um, I think I think those stats are probably skewed. This is just me, and Corey's probably got a better answer. But I think those stats are probably skewed from the first twelve months pre-vaccine. So what what the thing is that it, just to answer it, it's just that that's the bit where people are challenging back because you talk about what the percentage of is and how many people are dying after they've been vaccinated or is that uh, was it Gibraltar where they were they were sort of hailed as a model country uh, getting a hundred percent of their people vaccinated but now they've been made a level four uh, warning. Uh, warning centre country via the CDC so the, that's is it 100, yeah 100% um, vaccinated and now they're on a level 4 with a travel warning so that's the bit where people have said we've been vaccinated but why are we being putting on this warning list like I think I know Gibraltar's a different country to United Kingdom and other countries, but I'm just using that as a scale, and that's the bit where it's, people. Have, it's a mini, it's a mini, it's a mini UK, isn't it? They say. It's um, a mini UK or a mini London, I've heard it called, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I've not looked at any stats. I don't know anything about Gibraltar. Yeah, what you said about the uh, the average age of death for COVID is 
an oft-cited stat, and I think it's a fair one, and I think it's one you know that reasonable people are gonna are gonna see and, and question. So the whole thing is thinking about what a pandemic is and the what it entails. It, it often goes beyond the deaths. Obviously, we've all heard of long COVID at this stage. So people who are getting these long-term symptoms, yeah. uh, lung scarring, um, you know, reduced kidney function, uh, organ transplants that are needed for people who you know maybe have been immunocompromised or you know maybe had. Uh, you know, kidney disease to begin with, and then they caught COVID and it was severely reduced their kidney function to the point that they needed dialysis. So this stuff is happening as well. So even though the average age of death is well, admittedly, is very high, it's close to the life expectancy, which is uh, obviously would make you think maybe it's not as dangerous as it seems. But we do see these long term symptoms. And we do see a lot of people that are having, you know, very severe complications uh, post, uh, you know, getting infected. And that's only, and I think this is an interesting thing, that's only now uh, the the data that's coming out in the last, let's say, year and a bit. So I know a lot of people are concerned about the long-term effects of a, a vaccine, but nobody's really too concerned, or none of these people is, essentially are too concerned about the long-term effects of actually getting COVID. So, I mean, I'm hoping that nothing else emerges. Uh, obviously, we know you said your friends, uh, the guys you work with, couldn't smell or couldn't taste, which uh, suggests some... Yeah. Positive. positive, yeah. You know, they, and that suggests that a neurological, uh, some neurological damage there. And they have confirmed that basically people who can't smell or can't taste after getting infected, there is a little bit of neurological damage. And obviously that would, you know, you'd be concerned about that going forward and how that could evolve. And uh, And that's one aspect. The other aspect as well is, and a lot of people don't think about it, is the capacity of uh, health systems and hospitals. So in Italy, if you follow that for that period of time where, for the couple of months where they basically were completely out of control and there was people that they were being turned away from the hospital because the younger people were there and they wanted to keep them alive, uh, that's another aspect of it. And people have died or people are dying or people are missing the opportunity to be uh, treated for preventable diseases and illnesses. I don't know what it's like with the NHS in the UK, but here in the HSE, um, I have a close friend who's diabetic and her appointments have been cancelled um, countless times in the last year. Same the, yeah. It's incredible the amount of uh, of reduction of services that has uh, has occurred because of this and because of the uh, resources being put into this and obviously attempts to not have as many people in a single place. And all of these are all side effects of the pandemic. And even if you, so granting all of that, even if you accept that, okay, you know, it's the, the average death is really high, it's similar to the life expectancy, even if a lot of people are dying, the only reason you would, you know, use that as a, as a talking point is if you look at the vaccine as a treatment and you have a problem with that. Because, you know, if you were like me, let's say, and you thought the vaccine was effective, it was safe, and it basically did what it was supposed to do, then you wouldn't need to say, well, you know, COVID is only killing people that are really old anyway, so I don't need to worry about it. You just take it like you take a Panadol for a headache. You know, why would you suffer needlessly? So I think this gets at the concern or the kind of skepticism that you have about the treatment and you know what where those concerns come from uh, uh what they are and why you why you are waiting seeing and why you wouldn't just take it yeah that's that's a good point actually Corey. um and i i, I believed i touched on on that uh you know the collateral deaths on the first time we covered covid on our on our first covid podcast but yeah it's it's you know it's great to uh, remind us of that i do actually remember a stat as well uh, that I remember seeing last week. You probably uh, just be googling that now, as you. T- no, <laughs> I, I, no, I'm going to no. get some more stats to get Carlos with. No, no. <laughs> if if I had it to hand, I would I would give it you. But it was along the lines of 
unvaccinated people that have died, on average, people that die lose about 10 years worth of their life. So it doesn't matter what age you die. On a, so if someone, someone in the 50s dies, they're losing 30 years. Someone who's 70 might only lose a year, yeah? But on average, 10 years, yeah? People that are vaccinated cuts that down to only about two years. Another important stat as well to look at is when you're looking at deaths is, and maybe we'll go back to the, the data and whether you think it's accurate or not. I know you, Andy, you said that you think it's 99% accurate. I actually disagree with you in that I don't think it's very accurate at all. I think that it's actually underreported um, in a lot of aspects. I think that the, you just have to look at the global excess mortality uh, in the since 2020, uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, essentially yeah. went global. And yeah. you'll find that it's actually the the conservative estimates so the lower bound of the excess deaths that you find is actually nearly double what the reported deaths are. Um, yeah. Some of the conditions that lead to that are places like Africa, or you can imagine India. I don't know if you've ever been to India. I was there for two weeks. I used to work for a startup that was based out of there. And they have, there is absolutely no way that they are tracing and tracking the people that live in those huts there and live basically yeah. on top of shanty, each other. The millions of towns, must be The shanty towns, yeah. exactly, yeah. And similar to, in Africa, those extremely impoverished areas of the world are 100% not giving us the accurate data, not tracking the deaths. So I actually think that the deaths are heavily underreported. And I know that's the complete opposite to what a lot of the people who are skeptical of the vaccine and some of the numbers are. But I think we're actually missing how deadly the virus actually is by a decent amount if we just look at the stats. I totally agree with that, actually. And I'm I'm glad you corrected me on that. Um, you, you are absolutely right. I, I mean, in, in terms of me saying I agreed with it, I was looking at as it. I knew what you of, meant. Yeah, yeah as a point of view, as they weren't the, lying. Like of yeah, the yeah. people we have tested, these are the people we've tested. Of the people that have died, who were tested, you know, with with coronavirus, this is the numbers. I was I was just totally overlooking the the. I, I totally agree. There's there's, there's low, even in the UK. I think there's unreported. Again, when it comes back to those collateral deaths, yeah, you've got someone going in there with a with an ankle injury or something or a foot injury can end up leading to loss of life because of complications but they are unable to get treatment quick enough fast enough because the emergency room and all the beds were all full of people on ventilators and, yeah and people and who were afraid to, to, to go to hospital people who may oh, have yeah, had chest yeah, pain or yeah. have concerning symptoms and they just were afraid to yeah. actually go into the hospital and that you yeah. know that would have and it's that... it's so hard to see to actually physically see it's still in the uk it's still really hard to physically see a doctor. If you've got an ailment, I, I, I had an earache at the weekend and I'm like, you can't really diagnose that over the phone. Mm. A doctor needs to look into your <laughs> ear. Thankfully, yeah, it, didn't get, it didn't get any worse, but it's something I've suffered with since I, was, since I was two years old. Yeah, yeah. again, you're not really going to get a camera all the way down your ear so they can look at <laughs> yeah, your no, eardrum. But, um, but yeah, I've, I mean, I've had problems... Uh, with one of me since I was two years old so and I was just like how I was just I was just like okay if I've got to phone the doctor on Monday this gets worse how am I going to convince them that they need to come in and see me because every other time I phone them in the last 18 months they've they've just tried to diagnose me over the phone you know the only time I've been seen by a doctor is two months ago when I had uh, stomach pains and I ended up having got my gallbladder out <laughs> So obviously Carlos knows about that and probably our listeners, but Corey <laughs> no, doesn't know that. Just, just Corey, Corey, that was that was the night of my first vaccine. 
I had I had the job oh, yes. Friday. Yes. I had oh the job. Fr- How had are the job. you not a conspiracy theorist already, man? That's exactly gotta right. Got to be connected. There's a I, correlation. Direct it's got to be, there. mate. It's got to be. That should go on bears. <laughs> but I, I literally, I literally went into the A and E, going, "Look, I've got a fever. It might be my vaccine, but I've also got this pain. I don't think the pain is caused by the vaccine. Will you look <laughs> at the pain?" And and actually, um, after doing blood test eventually i didn't i did have to actually go back on the sunday and they did and they did the blood test which they should have done on the friday night but they went oh actually no we don't think your fever is from you having the vaccine we, we can see in your blood that you've actually got an infection it's your gallbladder we need to take Jesus. it out well you're so the third person i know who's been admitted into hospital and obviously the, the, the three people are a bit like yourself who <laughs> don't believe it's related but they've had been admitted into hospital after they say it's not related but you never know. Maybe coincidences do happen, but yeah. Well, well, think about so. They, that, and one thing as well is, I think, is overlooked a lot when people are attributing um, adverse side effects to the vaccine is no like vaccination program or inoculation program or medication program has ever spanned the entire globe, not in the last hundred years anyway. And if you look at the incidence of, let's say, sudden death or um, MS or cancer or uh, paralysis or Bell's palsy or any of these things, if you were to take the numbers, the average numbers in a year occurrence, uh, and you were to compare them with the current year, that is how you'd actually tell if there was excess. Because it's like saying everyone who drinks water, um, basically everyone on the planet drinks water, right? And if you have an adverse side effect uh, that you would attribute to something that you've just received, um, like water like something else like that then you can easily kind of draw correlations there this is like similar in that way in that the vaccine has been administered to basically three point something billion people at this stage so there's no medicine that has been given to that many people so it's easy to draw the conclusion or the correlation between this because this stuff happens every day without a vaccine it's just now everybody's getting this vaccine that people are worried about so it's so easy to draw correlations to the to the adverse side effects do you think the the side effects or the death tolls due to the COVID injection has been muted or completely wiped off the internet? The reason why I say that, there's uh, an article which I've got, which I will give to send to Andy, you can send to yourself, is by a Thomas Renz, who is a uh, attorney, and he's got a, a government-related a government related, uh, computer crammer uh, who works for the Healthcare Data Analytics, uh, has made a declaration under the penalty of perjury that, according to medical claims submitted to the Centre uh, for Medicare, CMS, at least 45,000 people have died uh, due to the vaccine-related uh COVID-19 injections and that's just in America and that's by Thomas Renz. 45,000 people have died because they received the vaccine as a result of being given the vaccine. I think that's complete bollocks. Bombshell lawsuit (laughs) government whistleblower says uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine death at least 45,000 and that's by the attorney uh, Thomas Renz. Renz spelled E-R-E-N-Z. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember when people started getting um, um, blood clots? There were seven cases of blood clots in, ha- in I don't know how many million in Europe, right? Seven cases, and it was all over the news. Do you not think forty five thousand is is going to be but on every is, single? This is too scary. I can. I've got the article here. I've got the article, and it was published on the twenty second of July this year. 
So to me, I, I just had a quick look up at Thomas Renz. I actually have seen this guy um, on, I don't know if it was on BitChute or what it was. He definitely wasn't on YouTube uh, <laughs> talking about this particular thing. And this guy is just an absolute loop of a dude. I don't know if you know Rudy Giuliani uh, or some of the uh, legal counsel that Donald Trump had when they were trying to argue for the case of the election fraud and every single case. I don't even know how many there was. It was in double digits anyway. All got thrown out from lack of evidence. So this guy, Thomas Renz, is an attorney. And his statement is that we have someone that has sworn under penalty of perjury that there has been at least 45,000 deaths. So one, the we have someone is extremely vague. Yep. Someone that is willing to, under penalty of perjury, admit that there was 45,000 deaths. If you look at the amount of people that wrote on sworn affidavits, in the US, I think it was millions of people, if not hundreds of thousands, that were willing to sign an affidavit and testify in court that the election was stolen. They saw election fraud when there was absolutely no evidence when it went to court. I can easily see one, let's just call them enthusiastic person, willing to put their own body on the line uh, and risk jail because they're so worried about the vaccine and they're convinced that it's poisonous, that they see themselves as a bit of a hero. And if I go and I say this, I might, you know, sacrifice myself because I'm lying, but it'll save people in the long run because it'll cast out and it'll make people not want to take the vaccine. This guy is a, an absolute looper. He was talking on a, a, this podcast that I was talking about with some other, I'm sure, some other uh, conspiracy dude that I don't know. And he was talking about how in the flu season, we're going to see, and anyone can look this up, this guy Thomas Renz, in the flu season in January and February, we're going to see people dropping dead en masse who have taken the vaccine. He's convinced that when the flu interacts with the vaccine, that basically anyone who's got the double jab is going to die. So somebody shared this with me on TikTok. This is the benefit of being the um, the anti-hero of all of the anti-vaxxers <laughs> and the COVID skeptics in Ireland is I basically get tagged in every single video. I bet your notifications they, go through the roof. Yeah, exactly. When one comes out, I'm like tagged in it. And it's just like, what is this? What is this? What is this? And that was the one that I saw. And essentially what I said to the guy who tagged me in it, I said, look, I said, if... We all don't drop dead in January and February, like this guy's saying. Will you accept that a lot of the rhetoric around this vaccine is conspiracy? And this guy's tagging me in so many videos of these conspiracy theories. He's fully convinced. And he said, you know what? If you don't, if you don't die because he knows I got the vaccine, if you don't die in January or February, like, come back to me and I'll see if I've changed my mind. So this is the thing we're dealing with. This guy, Thomas Renz, thinks that we're all going to basically die. Well, you won't, Carlos, because you <laughs> abstained or if you continue to abstain. Uh, so you'll be doing the podcast by yourself in January, February. When <laughs> when when but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just to add to that, because obviously there was the, uh, have you heard of Eric and Brett Weinstein? Uh, yeah, 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 I have. Yeah, it, have you heard about where Brett, we- Brett Weinstein was sort of uh, looking at alternative where the actual virus came from and YouTube have given him the second strike, another strike, he's completely deplatformed. So what's your opinion on, because obviously Tom- Thomas Renz, that, there's obviously a few more like that, but it's like when people sort of start giving alternative views, they're either ostracized, deplatformed or shut down completely. So do you think it's because these people could be dangerous or do you think we should have alternative views? So it depends on what we talk about when we talk about alternative views. This is obviously a really contentious topic. And I do think that there's nuance on both sides. I don't think it's just straightforward that we should just ban people who say stuff that we don't agree with. The stuff that uh, Brett has, come, has been coming out with. Now, the lab leak stuff is interesting. I'm more familiar on what he's talked about, about ivermectin. But it would it would depend on what specifically he's talking about with the lab leak. Because if he was genuinely inquiring about the potential for a lab leak of a natural virus that you know could have got out in Wuhan 
and he was given a, a copyright strike, then you know that you could speak to that because it seems like now even Fauci is saying that there is some uh, likelihood that it could yes. have actually come from the lab. The difference is if he was talking about it being a uh, gain of function research uh, virus that was uh, you know given additional let's say uh, functionality and additional kind of uh, features to make it more deadly, or if he was suggesting that these were matters of fact, because that's the issue that I have with him with ivermectin is that with ivermectin specifically. He's spoken about how this is, you know, has been studied. It's demonstrated that it's effective. It's proven that it works uh, on reducing the severity of COVID and it needs to be implemented right now. The problem with that is that we don't actually have that data and those studies that confirm that it is actually effective. A lot of the studies that have been done are super questionable in quality. The biggest and most positive study, there was a meta-analysis that he shared on Twitter that basically analyzed a bunch of different studies about ivermectin and it found in the conclusion that there was generally a positive correlation between using ivermectin and recovery from COVID. And there was one really big study that was driving that. Now, when I say really big, I don't mean big in terms of size because the total number of uh, participants in all of these studies, I think it was 14, was only something like 2,600 people. When you compare that to the vaccine, you know, at this point is tens of thousands in clinical trials, you know, we're seeing the difference. But the biggest positive paper there that was driving that conclusion in the meta-analysis has actually, it was a preprint and it's actually been retracted because there was evidence of uh, data manipulation. And an example of that, and I mean, this is just absurd, is that one of the patients on, that they talked about in the study, this preprint that was retracted, that showed the po- most positive uh, results. One, it was uh, basically enacted by an advocacy group for ivermectin, which is kind of weird in itself because you're not supposed to have conflicting interests. But one of the patients in the study was reported to have left the hospital that they were studying on the non-existent date of the 31st of June, 2020. So maybe it's an admin error, maybe it's a reporting error, but essentially this has been removed from uh, the research paper that it was in because of evidence of data manipulation. So currently there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that ivermectin is effective. Studies are ongoing and there's no silencing the discussion of ivermectin, what's being silenced is the suggestion that it's confirmed that it's useful and that we should be using it the same way we would silence somebody who was saying that drinking bleach was effective at, uh, at stopping <laughs> cancer. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't care about that on YouTube. You'd say, of course, that lunatic needs to be taken off because we know bleach doesn't. Well, it cures cancer and that it kills you if that's what you think curing cancer is. But that's the thing that is, is it that they're just talking about these things or is it that they're giving people confirmation about dangerous information that actually isn't confirmed those are two very different things i also looked into invermectin um from a from a a studies angle i saw exactly the same thing about this 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 draft paper this incomplete paper got picked up got redacted uh, but the problem is a lot of other media outlets, even now, are still picking up old news stories and are still running with it as if it's some sort, as if it's a published paper. So I actually found a paper. Science. Ooh, science a bit. The paper is from the 26th of May, 2021, and it was looking at the misleading clinical evidence and systematic review on Invermectin for the treatment of COVID-19, right? Just to sum I mean, this is, this is a several big long pages long uh, so i'm just going to summarize it and hopefully knock the uh, the viability of this drug for covid on the head but the the clinical trials that were looked at um there were reported severe adverse effects ranging from ataxia to seizures which had been occasionally been reported in the test subjects i'm not sure if that's something i would want to take instead of a covid vaccine because 
you don't hear of that in COVID vaccine trials. To be effective, it required nine times the maximum FDA approved dose of the drug, which is believed, which is believed to be the reason why the World Health Organization excluded Invermectin uh, from the trials in the first place. By February 2021, uh, there were 22 different clinical trials, almost half of which were never registered, meaning that, as Corey said, they had selective outcomes, reporting biases, and the certainty of the evidence was extremely low. Um, the paper that I read detailed another 39 studies. And again, basically, its, it's conclusion of all of them was um, that it had serious methodological limitations uh, and a very low certainty of evidence across yeah. all those trials. Exactly. And I want to touch on one thing as well. So you're absolutely right about all of what you said on ivermectin. And I do hope that people pick that up and they do, you know, again, this goes back to if you actually trust the, the sources. And I think if you don't trust, you know, peer reviewed research, then you can't even know when you go outside, if you're not breathing poison, because how do you ever know what's real and what isn't if you like literally don't trust anything. But if you actually look, there's a drug that's being used currently for critically ill COVID-19 patients uh, called dexamethasone. And it's a basically a white label uh, steroid an anti-inflammatory and an immunosuppressant. And this is basically the real ivermectin for people like Brett Weinstein and other kind of skeptics. This is a white label drug that anyone can manufacture that is extremely cheap, that nobody's making profits off, that's being used by medical practitioners for critically ill COVID patients because it actually was studied in the right environments with effective studies, with high quality evidence and high quality results and it was found to actually make a difference. So for people that think that the reason that they're uh, suppressing ivermectin or or uh, hydroxychloroquine, which is what it was before a few a few months ago, you know that was the other uh, drug they believed was being That's suppressed. That's what Donald Trump mentioned once. It. Yeah, exactly. They they actually use a a, a white label, uh, you know, completely cheap. No, nobody's making profit off a drug in uh, care of COVID nineteen patients, and it's called dexamethasone for people. So for people who think it's being suppressed, it's not true. It's just that these things don't work. Do you think the fact that they they push the fact that these drugs are being suppressed is just to bulk up their own conspiracy theories? For instance, for instance, Brett Weinstein, and this is probably why his video is removed, not because of uh, uh, the talk about the drug, but it was the fact that he's pushing the fact that the spike proteins in in the vaccine are psychotoxic, and which means they 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 go and a, a kill host cells basically. Yeah, I mean the thing with the um with brett weinstein is unusual so obviously because i've been following politics in the u.s for a while i'm aware of brett weinstein i saw him on joe rogan's podcast a few times i was a big sam harris fan for a long time a bit more iffy on him now but uh, i still find some of his stuff interesting uh but he, I, I know they're good friends they've had podcasts together yep. and i don't know what the hell it's like uh there's a there's a, like a meme where they talk about like what one sjw will do to like a motherfucker and like it's an example of him and like obviously his whole interaction with the uh, college campuses and yeah. what he thought was like the crazy left wing and stuff this guy seems to have just absolutely fallen off a cliff in terms of uh you know his academic background i him have no wife, idea him his wife both uh were professors at that university him yeah exactly he's an 11 uh, evolutionary biologist extremely Correct. smart guy by all accounts uh, and i know his uh his brother eric eric is like a some like genius mathematician and he's like on the board of some you know uh, one of the kind of highest uh hedge funds uh in the world so these guys are smart guys 
But the stuff they're coming out with, it's just it's just verifiably false. It's just bupkis. And like Sam Harris actually recently did a podcast uh, talking about Brett Weinstein and talking about how he doesn't understand this kind of route that he's gone down. He said, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's somebody that I think is very intelligent and I trust and I respect his his belief on things. But he said, this is just, I don't understand this, this curve and this turn because all of the science and all the data that we're seeing is that this spike protein that uh, is generated by your by the cells in your shoulder when you've actually been given the vaccine, the idea that it's cytotoxic and that it travels and destroys your heart and destroys your heart and or your uh, brain and destroys your lungs and all that sort of stuff, it's completely unsubstantiated. I mean, the evidence that we know now, uh, and even from the people who manufactured the vaccine, the spike protein is modified to begin with. It's essentially like a snake that they've removed the fangs from. They've made the, the key part that allows it to bind to the cells to inject the RNA has basically been modified so it doesn't do that. The other side of it is that the majority of the cells that mutate that activate your immune system, it's localized in the injection site uh, in your shoulder and then it's in the lymph nodes in your neck that actually swell and fill with the the T cells to attack it that give you that uh, immunity at that point. Uh, So the cells are localized, first of all, unlike natural infection, which goes all over your body. And, uh, you know, the spike protein is, mo- is modified. Now, there's a 1%, I think, amount that leaves the injection site, and that gets destroyed by your liver enzymes because the spike protein, again, has been defanged. But this, to me, is interesting because the irony around Brett Weinstein and Rob Malone, uh, you know, the apparent inventor of mRNA, which he isn't, by the way, at all. This is another, you know, weird misinformation. He's the only person who claims he's the inventor of mRNA, him and his wife. Uh, you can go and look that up. You won't find any confirmation that he's the inventor at all anywhere else. But they're really concerned about the spike protein of the vaccine, despite all of the evidence suggesting it's been modified and it stays in the location site. But they're dismissive of the danger of the actual spike protein of the virus, which isn't modified and does travel around your whole body. And I just, it, to me, it just seems like I don't understand why the focus is on the vaccine. It's like you're missing the the wood for the trees. The danger is right in front of you. They should be on podcasts talking about how deadly the spike protein of the virus is and to do everything possible to inoculate yourself against it. Yeah, that that's. I've actually got a really good infographic which I will share. Uh, someone else came up with it. I, I will share their their Twitter post with the infographic on, and it it debunks a lot of the stuff about spike spike proteins. And I think when people start hearing oh spike protein, it just it just sort of goes over the head. So just to recap, I'm not a doctor. This is just what what I've understood from doing my own independent research. Is what it's doing is it's training your body so that when it does come into contact with the virus which looks very similar to it but it's still got its poison attached it can it you're you're you've got like this um uh it's like muscle memory but for your immune system so it goes oh i've seen this before i'll generate all those antibodies that i generated when i got the jab the other day and i'll fight the virus off a lot quicker than than having to encounter it for the first time yeah it's similar to like uh to use like a combat sports analogy, it's like your immune system, it, it, when it hasn't seen uh, any evidence of the virus before and the virus comes at it, you know, you've all seen videos of somebody who like decks a guy unconscious standing behind him completely like lamps him out because he's not expecting it versus, you know, a guy suited up with his like MMA gloves on and his shin pads and his mouthpiece in and he's like facing <laughs> the guy about to attack him. That's kind of a similar analogy of what the, the vaccine does. It basically just prepares your immune system to expect an, an attacker and you know, when you're prepared for an attacker, obviously you usually fare a lot better. So do you think the Brett Weinstein video 
so by what you've both said to me there, so would you re would say Brett Weinstein is dangerous to the public then because of the information he's given out? Or do you think that's an, an alternative? Like, so it's like you can give a, a sort of people can look at both sides because it's not, I can understand David Icke. David Icke can scaremonger. Alex Jones can scaremonger. I totally understand that. But uh, Brett Weinstein is obviously a biologist. Yes, he has his... Uh, He's had his few challenges, and he does people. I don't know if he's left or right or he's central. And I have seen uh, what Sam Harris is, and people like uh, Ben Shapiro said things about him. But do you think sort of? Do you think we should be silencing uh, Brett Weinstein? Or do you know what? I'll listen to him. Do you know what? I don't agree with him, but I'll stick to what I know. Or do you think we should be deplatform deplatforming him? My opinion, and I'm only basing this on the fact stuff that our former. We mentioned, look, right, we mentioned Nick all the time. This is for the listeners. We mentioned Nick all the time. If you're a new listener, you've not listened to any of season one. Nick was our original co-host with myself and Carlos. He's still very much in the background when we're talking about conspiracies, uh, but he just doesn't want, to, he's not on any social media. And I think he, he felt that the podcast was too social media for him and he's removed himself from being on the podcast. He listens to us and he probably doesn't mind me mentioning his name every, and again, every now and again. But Nick shared with me a couple of graphics that he'd been sent from other vaccine, COVID vaccine skeptics. Um, I believe, I don't think he went out and searched them, but a couple of the graphics I saw, I thought these should not be, these should not be floating around Twitter because if the wrong person sees it, if someone sees it, that's not sure about whether to take the vaccine or not, these will flip them the wrong way. You know, they don't understand the science behind it. They, he, he comes along with this. Oh, I'm, I've got such and such a background. This is why you should believe me. But as far as I'm concerned, like you say, I just think he's talking absolutely rubbish. But when it comes to free speech, which is another argument I have with Nick all the time, I personally believe that when something has been proven to be false information or a hoax, misleading, scaremongering, when it's been proven without a shadow of doubt by science, what that person said is wrong. And if the wrong person reads it could cause that person harm, I believe that... I don't know who should police it. This is a completely different argument, but I believe that that should be removed from the internet so that people don't see it, so they don't cause themselves harm. That's my personal belief. Once something has been proven, right? I'm not talking about wishy-washy things well, where no one's actually got any evidence for it, but Corey, well, I, has got, I know he's got a really good answer about free speech. <laughs> Uh, uh, sorry, freedom. Well, just to jump on that, because it's like people uh, before were like, if you mentioned the, the uh, Corey at the beginning of the podcast mentioned about the virus could have come from a lab in Wuhan. Uh, I'm not yeah. putting words in your mouth, uh, Corey, but I think that's what you may have said. But I mm. agree with you. And then Google and Facebook would anyone who would say that would be in deflat. Uh, I don't think I don't think they're being deplatformed because they're saying that. I think it's because of what else they're saying. They're following that up with this was released on purpose. Well, therefore, now, we're, now, now, we're like, as you mentioned, Fauci saying, "Ah, yes, it could have come from." And also, I remember, I wish I've still got the uh, the letters. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump wrote it, but I'm sure someone did. I'll give it to you, Andy. You can put it on the podcast where Donald Trump. Um, 
wrote a letter to the WHO asking and literally bullet pointed, I think it was a four four page letter, bullet pointed about this. We knew about the virus, but then WHO said, no, it's not. It can't be transmitted by human to human, X, Y, Z. And the whole media or uh, social media and mainstream media across the world, what's this American saying? Gas, they were gaslighting um Donald Trump and now a year later we're going oh maybe Donald Trump was right maybe we have to look because obviously anything what Donald Trump says is wrong no matter what it is is wrong <laughs> and that's the bit where so could we arguably be gaslighting the most powerful man on the planet at the time because he was saying some of these challenges and well we're digressing from the original question but sorry what what is it just recap what 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 did donald trump say he said that the virus couldn't go from an animal to human no because no from a, a couldn't be transmitted from human to human and then it was told it oh. could it changed from 2020 january it's well the viruses are transmitted from human to human why was he because it, it, it said it couldn't the double WHO said it couldn't at the time, and not. Yeah, I want. I want to touch. On, I want to touch on that point specifically you, in a minute. Did you, did you read okay. that? Uh, did you read that letters uh, Donald Trump put out, Corey? Yeah, the open letter. Yeah, exactly. So, the, yeah, and and I think do you know what? It's fair enough. I, I'll admit that there was like you know some, um, you know, Donald Trump derangement syndrome uh, a fair bit, and if he said anything at all, I know. Like this is the kind of interesting thing is. Ironically, I think if he was actually, if he won the presidency, I actually think we'd be in a better state uh, with the vaccine rollout and the vaccine uptake in the US and, and globally, to be honest, because I think if he had actually won the election, he would be saying my vaccines that my administration got in record time are as safe as can be. You have to take them. He'd take all the credit for it, which, you know, fair enough, the Operation Morsby did something. And I actually think a lot of the people who are skeptical of the vaccine would have actually taken it. So I agree with you that anything Donald Trump basically touched, you know, he was the opposite of King Midas. It just turned to shit. But the thing with the uh, with the open letter is, there's, see, this is the thing is, it's a lot of the time these, and Andy touched on it, a lot of the time these, let's say, genuine concerns or uh, questions, they're often coupled with more nefarious kind of suggestions. And that oftentimes is what gets it flagged as misinformation and ultimately gets it removed. Uh, and I, and to be honest, my YouTube video that I uploaded got removed by YouTube because at one point I discussed Fauci's uh, changing stance on the masks. And basically to give context about what it was, I described how early in the pandemic he came out and said that there was no data to suggest masks to prevent spread. And then, you know, XYZ happened, more research came out and using the data, they changed that prescription. And YouTube actually banned my video just for giving the context behind you got a what happened. Strike, a big strike. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And so I'll, I will, I'll admit that occasionally the algorithm is definitely off. I can, it can knock you off and it definitely lacks a bit of context. But generally, a lot of these things are coupled with bad ideas. So the, the human to human thing. So again, and this is, I think, a, a kind of a more overarching point about a lot of this is science... Uh, when it goes up against conspiracy, it's at a bit of a disadvantage because conspiracy, these kind of theories, they often claim to have like the answer to everything. And it's always kind of easy to digest and quite simplistic. So when people talk about, you know, why would the vaccines be made uh, and why would they be forcing people to take them? You know, it's about control. It's about money. It's all very simplistic answers. Whereas science doesn't make prescriptions without the evidence to back it up. And you saw that with the masks early in the pandemic. They ne- Fauci didn't say, masks don't work 
his specific quote was, there is no evidence to suggest that masks present, prevent spread of COVID-19 because at that p- moment in time, there was no evidence. It was still so early. Similar to the human-to-human transmission, very early in the pandemic, the uh, Chinese researchers uh, or the people on the ground in China said that there was no evidence of uncontrolled human-to-human spread because at that moment in time, there was no evidence. The problem is when you take a quote like that and you slightly tweak it to say, you said that there, it, the virus doesn't go from human to human. Well, that's not what they said at all. Those are very different statements. To say there's no evidence that this happens versus we know this doesn't happen is very different, especially when science, its whole job is to update itself with evidence. Science, the funny thing is people say, you know, people have to question science and we should be critical of science and we should be allowed to question science. The thing that questions science more than anything else is science itself, the scientific method. It's constantly updating. It's constantly attempting to disprove itself, to have a better theory and have a more cohesive theory. And that's where I think a lot of this stuff gets lost in the weeds that people talk about a lab leak. But instead of saying it's possible that they were studying this natural virus and there was a mistake and it was leaked, what they say is it's some sort of conspiracy that either China leaked it on purpose or there was gain-of-function research and this is a, 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 a virus that's been manipulated to be more deadly and that leaked. It's often coupled with a, a kind of a more nefarious spin because obviously people that are on the internet, you know, you guys are podcast hosts, you know all about it. There's always got to be a bit of a rhetorical spin on things to make it more interesting, to get more kind of views, to get more people listening. So it's not really, you know, interesting to say, well, the evidence suggests it could be this. It's more like, you know, there's something going on, you know, it's it's a bit suspicious. And it's that kind of peppering of misinformation on top of things that usually gets these things flagged and removed. Corey, do you want to mention freedom of choice, positive and negative freedoms sort of thing? Do you want to, I know, I know you did a great um, TikTok video, basically just summarizing, you know, you can't have positive without your negatives. So one of the, one of the kind of big, biggest conversations that's happening now is around, uh, mandatory vaccines, COVID passports, the ability to eat out if you're vaccinated and stuff like that. And a big uh, criticism, let's say, from the COVID skeptical side is uh, about freedom. So like somebody's freedom to to not be vaccinated or to make choices for their, for their own, uh, you know, their own body and their own medical yeah. decisions and everything else. And obviously, you know, I was a big proponent of, uh, you know, women's reproductive rights and the control over that. And that's often cited against me when they talk about you probably voted for this in the referendum in Ireland, which we recently had a couple of years ago, but now you're against the freedom of choice, medical choice. And I think what people don't uh, really understand when they think about freedoms is there's certain things in society that there's two sides to the coin of freedom. And there's the freedom that these people are talking about, the freedom to not have to take a vaccine or not be, let's say, impeded by the government because they didn't do so, is what's known as a negative freedom. So that's the freedom from constraints. But what people don't realize is there's another side to the coin. And it makes sense when you think about it logically. There's something called positive freedoms. And that's the freedom of, let's say, me, you or anyone to act upon our own free will and to basically realize the potential of our life. And when it comes to things like infectious diseases or, uh, you know, things that have externalities or, uh, let's say, side effects that affect people around us, negative freedoms, the freedom to do to be free from constraints is fair enough, but your freedom stops at somebody else's freedom. So a good analogy to think about is the smoking ban. So, I mean, if the smoking ban happened now, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I shudder to think what the, what the rhetoric would be like if it would even be passed because of the similar thing. But somebody's freedom to go to the pub or to a restaurant, uh, let's say a restaurant because we'll include kids, right? That's a, a, a positive freedom. So that's the freedom to be able to go and to act upon their free will to do something. 
Now, a negative freedom being constricted would be telling somebody, okay, you can't smoke in a restaurant. And somebody might say, well, I'm smoking. It's my own, you know, decision to smoke. If it has adverse health effects or if it has a bad side effect, uh, you know, I'm assuming that risk. I'm the one that's smoking. But they're ignoring the fact that they're impinging on the positive freedoms of the people that are around them that don't want to be, uh, you know, that maybe can't go to uh, a restaurant if people are smoking in it because maybe they have uh, lung problems or, or things like that. And this is everywhere in society. So similar to taxes, every month, you know, if you are paying taxes, if you're not, you know, working cash in hand, <laughs> you get a certain percentage of your income removed by the government by force. Yeah. And if you refuse, the police, the, the, the government can mandate state violence to take your stuff away from you, to put you in prison, to lock you up, to literally like, you know, make you a slave for a certain period of time. And you can look at that from one side and say, you know, I want to be free from constraints. I want my negative freedom to be realized. I don't want to have the government come and take money from my paycheck that I earn. But then the other side of that is the positive freedom to act upon your own free will is to assume that if you're sick, there's a hospital there. If you need to travel to work, there's a road there. There's a public transport bus there that you can take. And oftentimes people are very self-concerned with their own aspect of freedom and how it's impinged, but they don't think about the bigger picture. And there's a theory called social contract theory. And the idea is that essentially we all as human beings, we buy into a social contract. So when you're in McDonald's or in a, in something like that and you're queuing up for food, why do you why do you queue up? Do you know, why do you stand behind everyone else and wait your turn? Or if you're in the hospital, why it's do you not because we're British. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's basically because if you skip the queue and you said like, you know, F you to everyone that's behind you, what happens if the guy behind you skips you? And the person yeah. behind that starts skipping them and you, it naturally descends into chaos if we don't follow these like social contracts. And there's certain things in society like taxes that we have to all buy into, even though it hurts us in the short term, because in the long term, it actually results in greater freedom for everyone. And in this situation, given the data, given the overwhelming science that suggests that the vaccines are very effective at preventing severe illness and hospitalization, that they reduce the chance of infection, although they don't remove it completely. Uh, the less people that are infected, the less chance of variants, the less chance of prolonging the pandemic to the point that the vaccines that we currently have, that protection wears off. All of that is so vital to the uh, continuance of society and the avoidance of chaos in a Mad Max kind of scenario where we're all like, you know, going around with sharpened sticks, like to take the last can of beans in the supermarket. It's so important that to me, I believe the positive freedom of us all supersedes the negative freedom to not you know, have to get the vaccine. So I can see a very, very good argument for man- mandatory vaccines and mandating them at a state level. Uh, do you see the uh, the uh, the negativity? What's happened in France? Where is it? Macron was introducing the uh, passport uh, vaccine passports. Do you see yeah. all the writing? And yeah, the uh, huge uh, protest. Hu- yeah. Huge protest. And in America, I, I was reading some articles where they were given incentives, where certain states were given free burgers and fries for the vaccine, yeah. or some states were given free cannabis. You see that they were given free cannabis. So you get, you get free cannabis with your vaccine. So it cheapens it. So you think, well, if this is so important, why are they giving me cannabis? If this is so important, why give me uh, burgers and fries? That's the point. Because they're, they're, ob- they're obviously they're obviously targeting um, low uh, economic communities, aren't they? Um, and, and they want to get the people together to a central location where they can give that vaccine out. 
that it's it's just it's it's just it's essentially it's a it's a, it's a marketing strategy as somebody yes. who uh, who does mm. some you know work in marketing it's essentially a marketing strategy and we can we can actually discuss and debate some of the uh, strategies that they have followed one thing that i'm hesitant to talk about mandatory vaccines on is the fact that optically they're really horrible the idea that you know you force a vaccine into somebody is such a horrible thing to just rhetorically to talk about similar to uh, you know, giving away free stuff to get people to take the vaccine. It sounds really bad. So we can argue this, the strategies and, and how maybe they've dropped the ball in terms of, you know, they. one thing I would be interested to do, what, and this might be on your side of things, Carlos, is I think, I know the mainstream media, they re- remove any opportunity for there to be, let's say, a sit-down conversation, let's say on the BBC, where you have like, the most notorious anti-vax or the COVID skeptic side, let's say their leader or their most David sophisticated Ike. guy. <laughs> David, they, you know, Ike. But David Ike. David Ike is, is oh, kind of tarnished. But let's say yeah. a kind of a clean-cut guy who has yeah, no okay. other priors. Brett Weinstein. So they put on BBC. Something like Brett Weinstein would be a perfect example, like a you know, respected person. Get him on BBC, sit him across from somebody who's like, you know, camera ready, who's, you know, somewhat kind of sophisticated on the camera, has that good rhetorical strategy, has a bit of flair to them, and have a debate on the issues and convince people that way and allow people to actually hear the other side in a controlled environment against somebody who is equipped to deal with the claims. So then people wouldn't feel like, you know, oh, they're suppressing all this information and I have to go and look on BitChute to get it. I think we should have more of that, to be honest. I think there should be open debate at this point. In the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, yeah, suppress the bad information, get as many people to take the vaccine as possible. But we can see with the internet now, you just can't suppress information. No, so you, I think it's better to to leak it out in a controlled way where people can get that bit of it, but then also see right beside it instead of going onto a bit shoot video where Brett Weinstein talks for an hour and a half with Rob Malone and nobody fact checks them or nobody challenges them. Get them on a mainstream yeah. channel, which they'll definitely do. It's get them, the you know, fact check in real time. Two and a half hours, I think Joe Rogan shows. So yeah, you know, and there was nobody there opposing him, you know. So I actually think it would be a better idea because it's already out there. Like get the, get the conversations in real life, and let's get somebody who can challenge them in real time and have people watch it and treat them with respect that they can make their mind up at that point. But no, yeah. I, I, obviously, I don't believe that you're the only person who's thought about that because I've thought about that. So. Why is these big, uh, um, big tele- uh, mainstream media giants like BBC, CNN, or ITV, Sky? Why aren't they doing this? Why do you think they're not doing it? Why they're not? What you just said makes perfect sense. Why do you think they've not done it? I just think they're scared uh, a little bit. I think in the beginning, I mean, a lot of this stuff is evolving in real time, and you know, people, we didn't. I suppose we didn't expect there would be such a movement, or at least I didn't, that there would be such a a strong opposition to, to to some of the science and this idea that, you know, all of science can't be trusted. And I didn't expect that to emerge. Do you think so, they downplay the size of the movement? Because literally this week, I, think I mean, so. I've heard other skeptics uh, on another podcast I listen to talk about this happen, but I, 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 yeah, my, my, my town's not massive, but literally on bus stops this week, we've started having basically anti- anti-vax stickers just appearing on bus stops yeah there was a there was a a protest in my city as well and there was thousands of people there and i think you're absolutely right i think that they tried to subvert the size of the movement and try and make out like it was less of a big deal than it was because i think they didn't want to like let's say give it steam or platform it yeah and i don't think that worked maybe as well they they are like me i mean i was really hesitant to do another covid podcast because i just wouldn't want someone listening to this 
and to go the wrong way. Do you know what I mean? But that's I why I, I that's why I think the best thing to do is kind of what you're doing here is you're platforming it in a responsible way where you have somebody on one side of the aisle, you have somebody who's asking genuine questions who isn't like completely like batshit in the other side, you know, where they're basically saying, you know, you know, you know, more serious kind of uh, mm. ramifications. He's asking, Carlos is asking genuine questions that a lot of people have. And then yeah. you're in the middle and you're basically providing some context to some of the more scientific discussions. And I think that people at this point should be given the opportunity to have that happen. Because to me, my whole thing with the, with the, with my TikTok. So on TikTok, my name is Politicory for anyone who wants to check it out. So that's politi like politics and then Corey, C-O-R-E-Y. And all people come on and they're saying, why are you doing this? You know, you're not a doctor. You're not this, you're not that. The only thing I care about on the platform is dispelling misinformation. Because I think if, if there's no, if it removed all misinformation from the world about COVID-19, and you let people make a decision. If people choose not to vaccinate at that point, then we have a conversation. Okay, then fair enough. You know, they've made an informed decision, informed consent, I keep hearing about. But the problem is no one can make an informed decision about their health when there's so much misinformation around. They can't have informed yeah. consent about not taking a vaccine because they're not informed. So yeah. all I care about is dispelling misinformation. So if it takes having a, de a live debate with experts on the topic, taking on somebody who's COVID skeptic, who asks genuine questions, but they do it in a controlled environment and they do it responsibly uh, and they air the questions that people have and remove the misinformation, then at that point, let's see where it ends up. That's all I care about is what decisions do people take when the most egregious misinformation has been dispelled and they're convinced that it's not true? That's all I want to see. That's the experiment that I want to run. Don't forget you can leave us a review on iTunes and we will mention it on the show, or send us an audio message to get your voice on air. You can ask us or say anything you like. You can get exclusive bonus videos and extra podcast material on our YouTube channel. Check it out.